code of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting to the Matrix on the 19th of March, 2009. I always advise newcomers to the show to look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website where lots of previous talks are given, which you can listen to at your leisure in the audio section of that site. And I try to fill in a lot of the blank spaces in history to show you how the world is really guided by big powers above those that you elect in any country. There's a, a global elite who run the whole world, and they have for an awful long time. They've, in fact, have used nationalism at times to further their agendas through wars, etc. And I try to at least give you some of the histories behind it to show you at least some of the players who have published their own works over the last hundred years or more, describing and outlining the kind of society they wish to create and we're living through the times when it's all coming to pass, it's all coming together. A hundred years and hundreds of years, in fact, of planning and scheming and financing powerful groups, front groups, to deal with all aspects of society and bring it all together across the world in every country at the same time for their brave new world scenario. Also look into Alan Watt Sentinel where you can get transcripts of these audio talks. You can download them put them up, pass them around, and they're written in the various languages of Europe. Now, I think in this day and age, you'd hardly find a person, definitely across the Western world, who doesn't really know, at, at some level, what's going on. They know the changes. They know they're global. They hear it all the time from the mainstream media. Globalization. But the masses, like Brzezinski said, and... Russell and others before them, the masses think by osmosis. They don't really think things through. They hear news and words, catchwords, buzzwords and phrases which are repeated to them. And eventually they start to repeat it themselves as though it's quite natural. So the greatest changes can be repeated very naturally by the public if they hear it, according to the marketers, a minimum, a minimum of eight times. Eight times. That's why they, they talk about weapons of mass destruction. And during Gulf War II, that's all we heard, repetition, repetition, this mantra of weapons of mass destruction. And it was so powerful, even though the same media would expose the fact there were no weapons of mass destruction found, the same politicians would come back on a day after and repeat it again, weapons of mass destruction. So propaganda and repetition wins over the facts every time. Something they've known about for an awful long time because Lenin said, describing the world socialism that they foresaw at the time, he said we shall win by the use of slogans. And that's what we have today. But no one, as I say, can possibly truly say they don't know. They don't know complete ignorance of this agenda 
no one can possibly say that they truly believe in a system which supposedly keeps screwing up and crashing economies by accident, of course. No one can truly, truly say, I think deep down, that they believe that. If they do believe in a system that keeps screwing up and crashing economies and causing destruction wherever it goes, why would they keep voting it in, the same system, over and over and over? Are we all masochists? Is that what it is? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? I'll be back with more, and I'll let you know what happened to Mr. Hill in Ireland after these messages. through the matrix. I've been talking over the last few days about how extradition is now used to whisk you off from one country to another country under all the new rules and regulations they've all signed in different nations to do with anti-terrorism, etc. And John Anthony Hill is one that has been charged in Ireland to be extradited to England, to Westminster, to be tried on some kind of charge to do with an attempt, a possible attempt to pervert the course of justice. And he had his first hearing today in Ireland at the court. He'd asked his barrister, which is kind of solicitor or lawyer, to give a foreword on behalf of John, but the barrister didn't do it because they never do. They never listen to their clients because they're going by a different set of rules. It's a sort of old boys club as they wear their long black uh, silk gowns and their wigs and all that kind of stuff over there. We're supposed to respect these guys that dress up like women. It's, it's quite amazing, isn't it? They we're trained to respect these people. But uh, the barrister did not read off what was requested of him, and even some of the things that John uh, got out into the courtroom was told to be pre-parked by the judge, and there was, it wasn't to be written down in the records of the court. So that's the modern justice, and at least always been that way. The judge is God in the court. He represents Saturn, as they say. And he is the God of the court. Whatever he says will go into the records, will go in, and what won't, simply won't. It never happened. Even if you sat and listened to it for 15 minutes, it never happened. That's how they write your history. What the judge is giving is his story. It goes down as his story. Not defendants or the accused or anything else but the judge, he's the boss man the god of the court you're into a different territory where they have their own language, they have all their Masonic gestures as for defense and prosecution and the judge, and really the accused sits on the sidelines as a, a, a kind of watching participant, a non-combatant while they go through their special little rituals and all the rest of it and points of law he will go back on the April, I think April the 2nd, to hear what the decision is. At the moment, as far as I know, the judge retired with a copy of 7-7 Ripple Effect video disc to give his opinion, or at least to be brought up on what it's all about. Which even makes you wonder, how come they can try you on the spot for something when they don't really know what's going on or what even the video was about? 
yet apparently has got a lot to do with it. And what I've been told is that the prosecutor likened John to all kinds of conspiracy nuts of the past, like, like um, I think they mentioned uh, it was uh, Orwell's 1984, George Orwell, because he'd used a, a pseudonym when he made the video, in his own name. So he actually likened them to George Orwell and others of the past. And even likened sending a disc out. It could be a bomb, it could be anything. That's how far they go in prosecution to, to go into fantasy land to prove a case. So we'll find out on April the 2nd, as I say, if it's going to be extradited or not. And it's a pity that there aren't more people that would turn up in these courts, keep an eye, at least be witness to what happens, because one day it might be you. And if no one stands up for you, you can be a very, very lonely person indeed. At the beginning of the show tonight, I mentioned the fact that we are on a roll as all these big agencies, NGOs, all the different associations and front groups for the world governmental system are coalescing, they're coming together. And yesterday I mentioned about the, the, the global youth idea, global parliament, G, local parliament, it's called, and I gave the links to it as well to show you that these organizations are funded by the World Bank. What is the World Bank? Well, it's just basically a, a, a place where a group of the world international money lenders go to lend money. That's the World Bank. That's what it is. And so you have, again, private institutions creating international policy, not just national policy now, to do with the youth and how their education will be, what they'll believe, what their zeal will be all about, what their fanaticism will be turned to or towards. And they do use the idealism in the youth and turn it into forms of fanaticism. We've seen that in totalitarian countries in the past. And now it's all going at full steam ahead. Uh, this ties right in with that article I read the other day. This article here is from Fox News. And it says, House passes volunteerism bill. And the, the critics call pricey, they say. It's a forced service, a form of forced service. And it says the legislation will expand the 1993 AmeriCorps program to match the renewed interest in national service since President Obama's election, which backers say is crucial in tough economic times. So in tough economic times, we've got to get the brown shirts going, just like Adolf, or the little red shirts like they did in the, the communist countries, and, and even before that in other countries down through time and history. It says the House of Representatives passed a measure Wednesday that supporters are calling the most sweeping reform of nationally backed, nationally backed volunteer programs. This is all these programs that are all set up by the United Nations. They're all NGOs already. The greening, sustainability, all of those things are all coming together into this program. And it says, but some opponents are strongly criticizing the legislation, calling it expensive indoctrination and forced advocacy. And it is. It's totalitarian indoctrination is what it is. And they always go for the young, remember. I think it's one generation growing up like, like brainwashed parrots, little green Nazis, 
we're all in trouble. But that is what they want for the whole world. Remember what they've said, Gorbachev, for instance, said in the past, he says, we are creating a new religion for the world. And it will be earth-based. He was talking about sustainability, the greening, all of that stuff. It's a new religion. And that's what they call it at the top. And this is what it is here under this Volunteerism Act. It says the legislation is slated to cost $6 billion over five years. Well, that's the start of it, right? Nothing that they advocate ever comes under that kind of price. It always doubles and triples with extra costs and overheads. It says we'll create 175,000 new service opportunities, mandatory service, new service. Why do they call it service if it's mandatory? Under AmeriCorps, bringing the number of participants in a national volunteer program to 250,000. It would also create additional corps. Now, remember, corps is a term used in the military. It's a military term. To expand the reach of volunteerism into new sectors, including, listen, a clean energy corps. See, it's part of it. An education corps. There's going to be a little Gestapo of education facilities. Healthy Futures Corps. That will be weighing you, uh, checking your mental health every, every few months to see if you're, you've got any stray thoughts. And a Veteran Service Corps and expands the National Civilian Community Corps to focus on additional areas like disaster relief and energy conservation. Energy conservation. We go around your dustbins and so on to see what you're, what you're wasting. This is the first time the AmeriCorps program, which was created by President Clinton in 93, you see how they set it up in advance. They don't, they don't care who's in it at the time. They're just told to set up this and it'll come into effect now. And, and it's all up and running already. It says we'll be reauthorized, and supporters say it will have additional funding to match the renewed interest in national service since President Obama's election and the acute need for volunteerism and charity in tough economic times. Oh. Again, this is set up at the very, very top, with the bankers at the top, who already own pretty well all the resources of the planet. And they're giving idealism to the youth do with greening their urban areas for the future. Old, old men, old, old men that are utterly heartless, psychopathic old men, create the dreams of the young. Always. Always. And it ends up being your nightmare as you get older. This national and community service can help make Americans a part of the solution, a part of the solution, right? to get our country through this economic crisis. I hope the House and Senate will join us and move. The House and Senate helped cause all this problem in the first place. Why do you keep voting them in, eh? And moving as quickly as possible to help President Obama sign this critical bill into law, Miller, chairman of the Education Committee, said after the bill was passed. So here you have politics taking over entirely, basically, entirely, the course of education for the young, for political reasons. To the bill's opponents, and there were only a few in Congress, well, that doesn't surprise any of us, does it? So you could cram ideology down the throats of young volunteers. Well, that's his whole purpose, isn't it? Many of whom could be forced into service since the bill creates a Congressional Commission on Civic Service. The Bipartisan Commission... Commission will be tasked with exploring a number of topics, including whether a workable, fair, and reasonable mandatory service requirement for all able young people 
could be developed and how such a requirement could be implemented in a manner that would strengthen the social fabric of the nation. Well, it depends who's got the dream, isn't it? Who's designed the dream? That's what it is. The social fabric of, the fabric of the nation. What kind of social fabric do they want for the future? We know what they want, I've told us. A nice, dumb, compliant, obedient, quick to jump on orders population. A world run by experts. As we contribute our time and money under no government coercion on a scale the rest of the world doesn't emulate and probably can't imagine, said Luke Sheehan, editor for the Family Security Foundation. I'll be back with more on more of this after these messages. Cutting through the matrix, and I've been rambling on about this new bill that's passed now, which is going to get into a, a form. It's going to create a form of volunteerism, mandatory volunteerism, in the U.S. And of course, it's going the same way as all the socialist parties in the past have gone. If you've noticed and you know your history, because really there's no difference as far as I'm concerned between Nazism and communism. And that's exactly what Stalin and Hitler agreed upon when they signed their, their German, uh, it was actually called the Hitler-Stalin Pact, prior to the beginning of World War II. They agreed that the, the, the systems were so similar to each other, it was quite a coincidence. But you always go for the young, you always get the young to, to start this, because they're the ones who are going to grow up. You've got to get an indoctrinated youth growing up into indoctrinated adults, in order to bring your new agenda through. And people like Plato's Cave can be taught to believe in anything over a certain period of time, given a generation with massive indoctrination. It's not difficult at all, especially when the same CFR members own the news media and all the other media, for that matter, and they're all saying the same things over and over on every topic. That gives you a Plato's Cave, and nothing outside the cave will be admitted into it. That's the kind of world they're talking about. And I keep going back, as I say, to Bertrand Russell, who understood this perfectly because he was a big player at the top think tanks that helped set up and design the system that came in from the 1950s onwards to the present day. He was involved in setting up institutions for education with particular types of indoctrination to see how it would work on the youth. Uh, he had experimental schools even back in the 1920s. He was given royal uh, charter to have these special schools where uh, what he was, was doing really at that time was completely illegal, even encouraging uh, pre-pubertal sex amongst the students and so on to see if they could destroy the family by following them down through their lives after they'd been to these schools and they did find, true enough, exactly what they thought, that the more partners they had before puberty, through puberty, and, and after puberty, would lead them to have very, a very slim chance of bonding permanently with any individual for any length of time. So that was really the experiment that they used and then brought in back in the 1960s again, encouraged the whole same thing with the addition of drugs on 
she was all for as well. So everything that happens on a major scale in culture alteration is planned by these big think tanks, the top think tanks. And they say, when you see socialist, if you understand what socialism is, you should read your history books and just look at your own histories. You'll find this matter is right wing or left wing. They've been going along the same socialist tracks. Socialism believes uh, that we are really creations of, or freaks of nature, uh, just pure freaks, accidental freaks that uh, came out of nothing, out of the slime pits. And uh, from amoebas, we just sort of decided to evolve and evolve to end up being humans, and there's nothing special about us on the planet. And they do believe that through science, they can improve the species. Again, eugenics is behind it. Now they call it bioethics. And they are forcing a new world into existence, which they planned and wrote about copiously from the 1920s onwards to the present time, uh, showing us the kind of system that they want to bring in, where we will do exactly as we're told at the bottom, including what we shall eat, where we shall work, if we can even breed and pass on our genes. That's all part of it. And they want compliant, placid, peaceful, domesticated animals at the bottom. That's what they want. And that's part of the overwhelming force we're seeing all around the world today under the guise of terrorism is to make sure that we all get the message as they go through this tricky period and their great plan, their great work to create this society. But when they go for the children on this kind of scale for political indoctrination and idealistic indoctrination, that's what it is, then you're in big, big trouble. You've got a horror show coming down the road because these young idealistic ones, as they grow up, can be turned loose on the public and target whoever's been targeted. The elderly, whatever it happens to be, they will do it. It's happened before in history. That's what you can do when you control the minds of the youth who've had heavy scientific indoctrination. So this will come in the future, you wait and see. It's planned that way, though. BBC, BBC says on the 19th of March, it says, Israel troops admit Gaza abuses. No kidding. No kidding. An Israeli military college has printed damning soldiers' accounts of the killing of civilians and vandalism during recent operations in Gaza. One account tells of a sniper killing a mother and children at close range whom troops had told to leave their homes. So non-compliance gets you killed. Another speaker at the seminar described what he saw as the cold-blooded murder of a Palestinian woman. The army has defended its conduct during the Gaza offensive, but said it would investigate the testimonies to say that every time they kill, you know, slaughter. The Israeli army said it will investigate it. It says the testimonies were published by the military academy at Oranim College. Graduates of the academy who had served in Gaza were speaking to new recruits at a seminar. And it's quite amazing what they're coming out with here for Israel because generally Israel is very quiet and they justify every slaughter they've ever done. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
watch and we're cutting through the matrix reading an article from the BBC which covers the testimonies from the military academy at Oranum College. Graduates of the academy who served in Gaza were speaking to new recruits at a seminar. The testimonies conveyed an atmosphere in which one feels entitled to use unrestricted force against Palestinians. Academy Director Danny Zamir told Public Radio, Now remember that Israel has mandatory service for male and female, and this is the outcome of it. That's why I'm going on about the mandatory service. In the U.S., when it's used for political means, you end up with killers, programmed killers. That's what you get. It says, heavy civilian casualties during the three-week operation, I should call it a slaughter, personally, it says, which ended in the blockaded coastal strip on 18th of January, provoked an international outcry. I wonder from whom. Correspondents say the testimonies undermine Israel's claims that troops took care to protect non-combatants and accusations that Hamas militants were responsible for putting civilians into harm's way. They always say that, don't they? You know, it, it, it nauseous growing up, and, and you've, you've seen this, this chaos in Israel since you were born, it's been going on. Every year you hear the same kind of thing. Slaughter, 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 slaughter. Same excuses, you know. Slaughter, slaughter. UN sits there and goes, tisk, tisk, tisk. Naughty, naughty, naughty. And that's the end of it. It says here, less important, the Palestinian woman and two of her children were allegedly shot after they misunderstood instructions about which way to walk, having been ordered out of their homes by troops. So they, they walked the wrong way because they didn't understand. So they just killed them. That's called execution or murder, if you don't know what I'm talking about here. To the climate in general, I don't know how to describe it. The lives of Palestinians, let's say, are much, much less important than the lives of our soldiers. An infantry squad leader is quoted saying. Yeah, in, intensive uh, scientific indoctrination really does work. Really, really does work. It says here, in another cited case, the commander ordered troops to kill an elderly woman walking on a road, even though she was easily identifiable and clearly not a threat. Testimonies which were given by combat pilots and infantry soldiers also included allegations of unnecessary destruction of Palestinian property. Here you have the, one of the most advanced air forces and military in the world, and best equipped bombing from the air and the ground people who have seen our whole lives throwing stones generally throwing stones who's David and who's Goliath it says here we would throw everything out of the windows to make room and order when they went into their people's homes everything refrigerators plates furniture the order was to throw all of the house's contents outside a soldier sat one non-commissioned officer related at the seminar that an old woman crossing a main road was shot by soldiers. I don't know whether she was suspicious, not suspicious. I don't know her story. I do know that my officer sent people to the roof in order to take her out. It was cold-blooded murder, he said. But, see, there's still people who understand what they're saying. The transcript of the session for the college's Yitzhak Rabin pre-military course, which was held last month, appeared in the Newsletter published by the Academy. Israeli human rights groups have criticized the military for failing to properly investigate violations of the laws 
of, of the war in Gaza, despite plenty of evidence of possible war crimes. And then it goes on to say something interesting. It says, moral army. The soldiers' testimonies also reportedly told of an unusually high intervention by military and non-military rabbis who circulated pamphlets describing the war in religious terminology. And I've, I've heard some of these rabbis talk about the, 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 the Arabic peoples. And it's rather disgusting. Because all that, literally they're called less than human, not human at all. All the articles had one clear message. One soldier said, we are the people of Israel. We arrived in the country almost by miracle. Now we need to fight to un- uproot the Gentiles who interfere with reconquering the Holy Land. The Holy Land. They call us the Holy Land. Peace. Eh? Shalom. Peace. Slaughter. So many soldiers' feelings were that this war was a war of religion, he added. See how they can indoctrinate the youth museum. Defense Minister Ehud Barak told Israel Radio that the findings would be examined seriously and then get them not toss them in the bin. I still say we, should, we have the most moral army in the world. Oh. Of course, there may be exceptions, but I have absolutely no doubt this will be inspected on a case-by-case basis. Well, they'll really waste their time on this, won't they? The authorities say more than 1,300 Palestinians were killed during Israel's 22-day operation or slaughter including some 440 children, 110 women, and dozens of elderly people, never mind all the buildings they flattened from the air. And why were they throwing all this stuff out into this? You see, they're trying to get them to move. The problem won't be over until they get them all either dead or moved, moved out of there. So, it's just amazing that people can keep supporting but to me it's just mass slaughter and persecution and there's enough people in the western world too who are brainwashed to support this kind of stuff for religion what kind of deity is this they're serving the one that wins by might well we've all had it in that case we've all had it Now, the U.S. at one time used to pride itself on having a constitution. At one time, too, most children could go through a good part of it by themselves. They understood what it was about, but of course that was discouraged years ago because the plan for the global society was already in effect years ago, many years ago. But there's an article out, and it's by examiner.com quite interesting about the, the army being turned in the streets of Samson, Alabama recently. It's March 19th. It says, uh, now that the army has conceded that 22 military police soldiers were dispatched from Fort Rooker to Samson, uh, Alabama, in the wake of the horrific mass murder there, local officials are coming out to take responsibility for inviting the military presence and to thank the troops for their assistance. This is the PR. A local reaction to the presence of troops seems overwhelmingly to one of gratitude, and the small-scale deployment was almost certainly well-intentioned. The actions likely violated federal law. It was also a step in the wrong direction. 
Geneva County Sheriff Greg Ward said he asked a local army base for assistance because his department and the tiny Samson Police Department were simply overwhelmed by the murder spree that took the lives of 11 people. This is the one that coincided with the one in Germany pretty well. Lieutenant Colonel called our 9-11 dispatch to say, we're here if you need us, Ward told the Army Times. See, that, that right away is a no-no. Is it the military inviting themselves in? Sheriff Ward was reportedly relying on 12 of his own deputies plus 10 officers from local police departments. The offer of help from an army unit with which, by all accounts, people in the area have an excellent relationship must have been very welcome indeed, it says. Ward went on to tell the newspaper, I thought, let me call them back. So he asked for MPs, that's military police, to come in and relieve our personnel long enough so they could get something to eat. That was the excuse. But then he goes on, it says here, I said, it probably, it's probably illegal. The Posse Comitatus Act passed in 1878 reads, and it was passed, by the way, because of the military at the end of the Civil War, how they were treating the civilian populations in the South. Because, you see, the military is there to kill people. That's their job. That's what they're trained to do. That's why you don't mix that with policing. It says, Whoever, except in cases and under circumstances expressly authorized by the Constitution or Act of Congress, willfully uses any part of the Army or the Air Force as a posse comitatus or otherwise to execute the laws shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than two years or both. That's supposedly the law. I said the law has been trimmed and modified since then. In particular, the military can be used to put down insurrections or help in the wake of natural disasters when invited by state governors. The federal government can send troops of its own accord to suppress rebellions or when major public emergencies render state and local authorities incapable of protecting people's constitutionally guaranteed rights. The biggest hole in the law is the provision allowing for the use of troops to enforce drug prohibition (laughs) and immigration laws and to collect tariffs, that's taxes, but the Posse Comitatus Act still remains as a prohibition on the use of troops in most civilian law enforcement roles. So the law was broken. And there's about how why that's a good reason for that, and it goes through some of it to do with the South and so on after the Civil War. But he also mentions an article by a professor that was in Popular Mechanics, and I'll put the links up at the end of the show, who talks about the purpose of the police. They're supposed to be there to protect the public. And then goes in to give you the definition of what the military is for. It's to go off and kill on behalf of the public, but someone somewhere else who's attacking your public, your own public. You see? That's a big, big difference. What he actually said, this professor, is soldiers are, a- are aimed at enemies from outside the country. Police are supposed to protect their fellow citizens from criminals and to maintain order with a minimum of force. That was Professor Glenn Reynolds of University of Tennessee. And he put an article in, as I say, the Popular Mechanics, that gives you, this article in the Popular Mechanics gives you the, art, the, 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 the rise of the SWAT team military-type police that we now have and how they're the biggest purchasers of military equipment and have been for quite a few years, which would scare the bejesus out of us all. So, Step by step, we're seeing the takedown of the world as planned 
into this brave new world scenario and have said for years that it give us an Orwell-style system in the middle. This is what we're going into now with the military, the police, the, the fear of the people have whenever they see a uniform today in public. Because you know that these guys aren't the old policemen. They are not that at all. They're dressed just like combat troops. And they wear black for execution. That's what black signifies, death and execution. That's why they're intimidating. That's not someone that's there to protect you. At all. Now, I also said years ago that they were raising a generation using military designed or designed for military video games to desensitize a generation who would grow up wearing these particular uniforms and who'd want to wear them and have the big guns and all the rest of it. I've gone through some of the histories of who designed these video games. And they were all designed initially for military purposes. Why would they give them to the children? Well, again, if the purpose was to desensitize ordinary people joining the military so that they kill when they see the target, a human target, kill without thinking, desensitize them, then obviously it would do the same on children. That's why they've been given them. A whole generation's grown up playing games where the only object is to go out there and kill and slaughter, etc. This is from the Telegraph. I think it's today's, but I'll put the link up to the end of the show on my website. Here you go with the next step of it. Listen to this. Just listen to this. It's from the technology page from the Telegraph. Mad World, most violent computer game ever launched on Nintendo WII, whoever that is. Mad World, a new computer game launched with the most violent ever been launched on the Nintendo Y console. It's from the 19th of March. And it says here, Players in Mad World use chainsaws. This is for your children, folks. Well, I shouldn't say your children. I think most of you out there just hand them over to the schools and you can't be bothered bringing them up to yourselves. That's my own personal opinion with most people. I know there's a few exceptions, but most people really are quite happy to have the government or the daycare centers take care of their children and indoctrinate them for them. That's what I see around me. Players in Mad World use chainsaws, spike clubs, daggers, and spears to execute victims. This is for the children to play with. They can impale their enemies on road signs, fry them on electrical sockets, and rip out their hearts. The game's bloodbath challenges see characters mown down by trains, crushed in the back of refuse collection vehicles, and blown up as human fireworks. A challenge called, called Human Dart sees players pick up Mad World citizens and hurl them into giant spiked dartboards. Sega, publishers of the game, said it is tipped to be the most violent video game in history. They're obviously very proud of it. You wonder why there's, there's so little of an outcry when we sit and watch on the, on the news uh, people getting blown up by an advanced military, uh, military and air force, and we think nothing about it. You ever wonder what's happened to most people? This is the games. It's going to be one of the biggest games out there, too. This is 
is uh, yeah, it, the Cuban Darts players picked up Mad World citizens and hurled them into giant spiked dartboards. It's just the most violent game in history. It's launched so hundreds of artificial severed arms placed around the country clutching a copy of the game. This is the, the ad for it. The game has already caused controversy abroad, being banned in Germany, while parent groups in the U.S. have also called for a ban, but it'll be very weak there, believe you me, because money talks. John Byer, director of Media Watch UK, a pressure group for campaigning for decency in TV, films and games, said the British Board of Film Classification, which granted the game an 18 rating, should instead have banned it. Well, as I say, money talks in this day and age, isn't it? Everything's completely corrupt, you see. He said, I deeply regret the board's decision. It's very well known that children and young people get access to 18-rated games. Well, what adult would want to watch? Would you want to hang around with adults that play this game? Really, think about it. Or maybe I'm from a different planet. Maybe the world's passed me by. The games industry just absolves itself of responsibility for this by saying it's down to parental control. There's enough killing and maiming in the world without turning it into an entertainment. Well, that's been said maybe 50 years ago, which is a huge cultural mistake, it says. Mad World is billed as a black and white alternative world where citizens must kill one another to survive. You see? Players use the wire remote to guide chainsaw-wielding Jack through a stark virtual city taken over by terrorists. Whoa executing other residents by slashing and impaling as he goes. The only other color in the game is crimson red, and blood is frequently spilt. If it's a god, why would he come back and save this planet? I think it's too far gone. Back with more after this break. Everything comes from the culture industry. 
and society has been taken down quite, quite too quietly, you might say. It, it, se- it seems like everything's been made into a fetish in this world, from the it food is. to the sex to the entertainment. Every, nothing's just simple life any longer. You know Have you ever watched the movie Video Drain, uh, Video Drone? I think it was was it Drone? Video Drone. Right. Uh, you'll find that the guy who was a producer of that movie was trained, obviously, in the, the methods of um, of indoctrination, how to indoctrinate the masses. And he even goes through in the story, in the movie, of how you, you add certain kinds of uh, pseudomasochism along with sex and violence and so on. just the right quantities, like a mixture, to create the, the, the proper addict amongst the public and right. to create these kind of fetishes, which are addictive and go further and deeper and deeper. So they understand these sciences. These are understood sciences, yeah. Do you, do you ever foresee a time when, uh, you know, humanity gets past all this is there is there ever going to be a generation that is you know free and uh, I, I tell you to be honest with you for the most people they don't care they don't care you they know I, care. I, I, I'll tell you what I talk to people all the time and I'll broach some of the issues that you know you discuss and I you know I don't find them to be incredulous yeah. I just find them to be completely apathetic they can wrap yeah. their minds around it they that's just right. don't care they don't care and again that's what Russell said they create within society is apathy <laughs> You see, they've done it all, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming down fast, too. It is coming down. It's the completion now where they, they simply tie all the different organizations together into one across the world, and now they're going for the young to literally indoctrinate them in political uh, behavior and beliefs and ideology. Uh, that's game over when that happens. Yes, it is. Well, um, I just, uh, I'm glad there's someone out there with the courage to do what you do. I can tell you, just making this phone call gave me pause, you know, knowing where we stand today. Yes. And uh, just God bless, man. Well, thanks for calling. I can hear the music coming as I see this hour just rushed in as it always does. And in fact, it flew past me. I should have more callers there. I had more to get back to. I'll try to get back tomorrow. So from Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's goal with you. Mm-hmm.